Well, welcome. Would you please stand and greet each other?
Our fight is with weapons unseen Your enemies crash to their knees As we rise up and worship When trials unleash like a As we cry out in worship The victory's yours You're riding on the storm Your name is unfailing The kingdoms rise and fall Your throne withstands it
Jesus, the anchor of my soul. I'm overwhelmed by all you are. Oh, how I love you. Jesus, the anchor of my heart. Jesus, the anchor of my soul. I'm overwhelmed by all you Welcome to New Life. We're so glad you're here. I'm Pastor Chris, the lead pastor, and um, I want to introduce you to a couple people. Come on up here, Ken and Mike. I'm going to actually put them in. Uh, Ken, you sit on that side, and then Mike right here, and then me. Uh, come on over closer, right here. Okay, the reason I have the three of us standing here, Ken and Mike are new to the worship team, and yeah, we don't usually introduce new people to the worship team, but now I am not the oldest guy on the worship team. <laughs> They, they are in the order of oldest to youngest. I'm the youngest guy in this group of three. So I feel pretty good about that today. And they actually, last night I called my brother Tom. I called my brother Tom every Saturday night on my way home from church. And his daughter uh, Leanne was with him. And I said, hey, we got two new worship guys on the worship team. And, uh, and they're older than me. And, and she said, where did you get them from? The Grateful Dead? <laughs> And I said, I said, they're grateful to be alive. Amen. And, and so uh, they, I asked them if I could do this before the church. I wouldn't do this, you know, to anybody, just bring them up like this. But I am so glad that our worship team is always growing. Um, and God continues to give us people that have a heart for him. And, uh, and the worship, uh, it's always amazing here. And, uh, so thanks, guys. I really appreciate it. Uh-huh. It's nice that we can laugh together. Church doesn't have to always be, you know, like, mm. it's going to be a little bit that way because we're talking about lust and adultery today, but I thought it would be nice to start off with at least a couple of, of laughs and, uh, and not at Ken and Mike's uh, expense, but laughing with them, and that's why I wanted to make sure that they had that kind of sense of humor, and, uh, and they do, so that's a good thing too. Anyway, 
Uh, for those of you who are new or who are uh, worshiping online with us for the first time, we're a quarter of the way through a 20-week series called Mountain Monologues. We're talking about Jesus' Sermon on the Mount. It's his longest message, and it's found in Matthew chapter 5, 6, and 7. And what we found out so far in our first four weeks is uh, what Jesus' disciples are and what they're called to do as he talked about beatitudes or blessings, and he talked about us being salt and light for a dark and tasteless world. And then uh, we've been in the last couple of weeks talking about the law. And for the people listening to Jesus' Sermon on the Mount, who uh, were all Jews, the law was everything to them. Uh, they had been formed as a people by God uh, in a very strange way, actually. A couple named Abraham and Sarah, who were really old and had no children, were told by God, I want you to leave your home and I want you to go to a new place that I'm going to show you after you start going. And so they did it. They actually left their home and they went to a new place and, and they, he promised them they would have a son. And through that son, there would be so many descendants. It would be like the sands of the seashore, the stars of the sky. And he kept his promise. And so Isaac, whose name is, means laughter, and obviously Sarah actually laughed when God told them that they were going to have a son, um, through Isaac and then Jacob and through all these descendants, over hundreds of years, there were more than a million Israelites or Jews. And they had been in slavery for 400 years in Egypt. And through 10 miracles that God performed through two brothers named Moses and Aaron, they were released, and, and they went out into the wilderness between Egypt and Israel, and they, Israel was their promised land, and so they were going to take this trip home. And it was, should have taken two weeks, three weeks at the most, even on foot. But as you know, um, men aren't willing to ask for directions, and so it took 40 years. Um, actually, it took 40 years because it took 40 years because the Israelites were disobedient. But in the middle of their wandering around in the wilderness, God gave them the law. And the law contained what we call the Ten Commandments. Those are the most famous of the laws. But there are actually 613 laws. And these 613 laws had as one of their primary focus points to turn the Israelites into a monotheistic people, a people who worshipped only one God. Now, you hear the word monotheistic and you probably go, well, yeah, because you worship one God. Uh, and in America, most people worship one God or they worship no God. But nobody in Moses' day <laughs> worshipped nobody. I, I mean, nobody worshipped no gods. But most of the people, in fact, all the people in those days, worshipped a lot of gods. Hundreds of gods, thousands of gods. They actually made images out of wood and stone and metal. And they fell down and worshipped these gods who they believed would give them protection, would help them to have, you know, bountiful crops and every good thing that they wanted and would, you know, keep them from bad things. But God, the God who created the universe, who called the Israelites as his own people in his law, told them there is no other God. There is only one God and you can only worship me and I don't want you to make any images of me because you can't see me and, and, and I want you to know that I'm going to have a relationship with you. And the law was the way that they were to know what they were supposed to do and what they were supposed to not do as God's people. So as Pastor Brad told us a couple weeks ago when we first were introduced to the law, Jesus said that he came to fulfill the law. In other words, Jesus came so that for the first time in the history of the Jewish people, someone would actually do everything they were supposed to do and not do anything they weren't supposed to do because nobody had ever been able to do that before. And Jesus was able to do that. He fulfilled the law. Now, the problem was the Pharisees, who were the main teachers of the religious law, and Jesus didn't get along from the very beginning because Jesus 
first of all, wasn't taught by one of their leaders. And Jesus wasn't willing to add the hundreds of extra laws that the Pharisees had added to the law to make it easier to follow. Jesus, in fact, would take some laws, as we saw last week, and he would take a law that was not that hard to follow and make it into one that was impossible to follow. So Jesus and the Pharisees had a problem from day one. And we could sum it up this way, um, that the, the law, according to Jesus, is first and foremost a matter of the heart. The law is first and foremost a matter of the heart. And if you follow along in your outline, that's the first fill in the blank. And, and so when it comes to the Pharisees and Jesus, here's the difference. The difference between Jesus and the Pharisees was the difference between life and legalism. Jesus wanted us to have the law in our hearts and to live it out in the power of his spirit so that we would actually experience the life that is truly life that God came to give us. Now, the Apostle Paul, uh, who's a very famous person if you're familiar with the church at all because he wrote most of the New Testament letters, started out as a Pharisee. In fact, he was a pretty serious Pharisee. He wanted to destroy the early church because he didn't think Jesus was really the Messiah. And so he was on his way to Damascus to have the Christians there arrested and put in jail, taken back to Jerusalem, and maybe even executed. But in the middle of this trip, Jesus appeared to Paul. His name was Saul at that time, and it changed him from the inside out, which is what Jesus always does to people when we let him become Lord and Savior in our life. And so Paul realized as a Pharisee what had happened. And he put it this way. He said, the law was given to us as a teacher. The law shows us what's right and what's wrong. But the problem is, even though we're, <laughs> we know what's right and wrong, we don't do what's right. And we often do what's wrong. In fact, yesterday I dropped Keen off at work at Concordia, and I was driving by this place, and it said, no parking anytime. And in my head, you know what I wanted to do? I just wanted to park there for like 10 seconds, right? I didn't. But I, I mean, you know, we see a sign that says, don't, you know, wet paint. You got to touch it and see if it is, right? Um, if you're normal, you probably do. So anyway, Paul said, this is what's going on when it comes to the law. He said, for we know that the law is spiritual, but I am of the flesh sold under sin. For I do not understand my own actions, for I do not, I do, not do what I want, but I do the very thing I hate. Now, if I do what I do not want, I agree with the law that it is good. So now it is no longer I who do it, but sin that dwells within me. For I know that nothing good dwells in me that is in my flesh. For I have the desire to do what is right, but not the ability to carry it out. For I do not do the good I want, but the evil I do not want is what I keep on doing. Now, if I do what I do not want, it is no longer I who do it, but the sin that dwells within me. So have you ever had that experience? <laughs> Every day, right? If, even serious followers of Jesus, we have this problem. And what Paul shows us here, in seven verses, Paul uses the words I, me, and my 24 times. And so this is what we could say. I, or me, myself, and I cannot fulfill the law. Me, myself, and I, you, yourself, and you cannot fulfill the law. You're going to try it, but you won't be able to do it. And so Jesus' point in the Sermon on the Mount when all of these things that we're going to read throughout the summer, he's going to tell us to do these things we can't do. At least we can't do them in our flesh, in our sinful nature, which was Paul is talking about. And, and Paul the Apostle tells us what Jesus, really what we've said from the very first message in this series, that we can only live these things out in resurrection power, the power that raised Jesus from the dead, which is the power of the Holy Spirit. As Pastor Brad reminded us a couple weeks ago, there was another Pharisee named Nicodemus who came to Jesus. 
And he was talking with Jesus, and Nicodemus wanted to sort of butter Jesus up, but Jesus got right to the point, and he said, look, Nicodemus, nobody can have eternal life unless they're born again. And Nicodemus thought he, Jesus meant, you know, being born physically a second time, but what Jesus meant was being born spiritually. We have to be born anew, and when we do that in trusting Jesus as Savior and Lord, what happens is we're changed from the inside out. And so Paul the Apostle who attempted to live out the law of Moses as a Pharisee, um, he realized he, he just couldn't do it in his own power. But he knew what transformed him was Jesus and then the presence of the Holy Spirit. And so what we're going to do right now, we're going to get to Matthew, believe me, but I want to read a little bit more from the end of chapter 7 of Romans and the beginning of chapter 8 because Paul tells us what it takes for us to be able to live out this message that we're going to hear today from the Sermon on the Mount. So Paul concludes after saying, I don't do the things I want to do. I, I do the things I don't want to do. He says this, Wretched man that I am, who will deliver me from this body of death? Thanks be to God through Jesus Christ our Lord. And he says, So then I myself serve the law of God with my mind, but with my flesh I serve the law of sin. And then he changes. And he says, There is now therefore no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. For the law of the Spirit of life has set you free in Christ Jesus from the law of sin and death. For God has done what the law weakened by the flesh could not do. By sending His own Son in the likeness of sinful flesh and for sin, He condemns sin in the flesh in order that the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled within us who walk not according to the flesh, and this is the key, but according to the Spirit. For those who live according to the flesh set their minds on the things of the flesh. But those who live according to the Spirit set their minds on the things of the Spirit. So he tells us there's no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. And who are those in Christ Jesus? Those who live according to the law of the Spirit of life. In other words, those who have trusted Jesus as Savior and Lord and those who have allowed the Holy Spirit to that born-again life to live in us so that we can do the things that we can't do and we won't do the things that we want to do that are wrong because of the power of the Holy Spirit in us. With the blood of Jesus shed on the cross, that canceled sin for all of us who receive Him as Lord and Savior, and then He gives us the Holy Spirit. In fact, the Holy Spirit always points us to Jesus. There are a lot of people that just want to focus on the Holy Spirit, but the Holy Spirit always focuses us back to Jesus because Jesus died on the cross, rose from the dead, went to heaven, and then sent the Spirit to us so we can live this new life that He calls us to live. So let's introduce today's passage from Matthew by talking about the take-home point. The take-home point, for those of you who are new watching online for the first time, it's the one point from the Scripture that we want to highlight and we want to live it out this week in the power of the Holy Spirit. And it says this, Jesus said, lust equals adultery, so we must overcome it. Now, if you were here last week, you're going to say, that sounds very similar to last week. And it does, because last week we said, anger equals murder, so we must overcome it. Jesus once again takes one of the Ten Commandments, this time it's the Seventh Commandment, a commandment that was maybe challenging, but you could do it in the, even in the power of your flesh, and he changed it to something that's impossible to do without the power of the Holy Spirit. So turn with me, if you will, to Matthew chapter 5, verse 27. It's in your Mountain Monologue booklet, or it's in your Bible, obviously, Bible app, or it'll be up on the screen. Jesus said this, "'You have heard that it was said, you shall not commit adultery.'" But I say to you that everyone who looks at a woman with lustful intent has already committed adultery with her in his heart. If your right eye causes you to sin, tear it out and throw it away. 
For it is better that you lose one of your members than that your whole body be thrown into hell. And if your right hand causes you to sin, cut it off and throw it away. For it is better that you lose one of your members than that your whole body go into hell. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much that even though you give us another impossible task apart from your Spirit, that in the power of your Spirit we can do it. So we pray for your Holy Spirit to open our minds and our hearts that we can hear your truth and also open our lives so that we can live it out. In Jesus' name, amen. So, Jesus said, the law said, you shall not commit adultery. You shall not have a sexual relationship with anyone who is not your own wife or your own husband. That's a prohibition, which while it's challenging, it's possible for us to do. And then Jesus said, but I say to you, everyone who looks at a woman with lustful intent has already committed adultery with her in his heart. So he took something from, that's an external possibility and he made it into something that's an internal impossibility for those who have a fallen nature, which is everybody here in the room today and everybody watching online. So why did Jesus direct his statement only to men? You might be wondering that. You know, why is it that Jesus said, if you look at a woman, and he's obviously thinking in terms of the Genesis 1 and 2 understanding of marriage, where a man leaves his father and mother, clings to his wife, and the two become one flesh. So why did he only talk about men? Why didn't he just say, if you look at another person? And that would include men and women. Well, the short answer is, in Jesus' culture, women were not given a lot of status. Yeah, a man could get divorced for just about any reason, but a woman, it was very difficult for her to get a divorce. And women were considered almost like property. Now, here's the thing about Jesus. If you read the four Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, the accounts of Jesus' life and ministry, death and resurrection, what you find is Jesus elevated women to a status that had never been seen in history. Jesus, as a rabbi, had women who were his followers. That was not. <laughs> that wasn't done. Jesus also received financial support from women for his ministry. Again, not something that was done. If you don't believe that happened, read Luke chapter 7, the very beginning, like verse 4. It says that. The other thing is Jesus spoke to women in public, including Samaritan women and prostitutes. Now, you might not think that's a big deal, but in Jesus' day, there were Pharisees who were called the bloody Pharisees. And they were called the bloody Pharisees because when they saw a woman in public, they would close their eyes and turn their head and keep walking because they didn't want to see the woman. And obviously, you can see why they would get bloody. They would run into things, you know, like run into a house or whatever, right? So that's how, that's how stringent some Pharisees were. Not all Pharisees, but there were some. So Jesus took women and showed them to be people created in the image of God. But here in this passage... What Jesus does is he goes with the cultural norm and he says, if you're a man and you look at a woman with lustful intent, you've already committed adultery. And the thing is, Jesus wanted us to understand something. And here's the next point in your outline. Jesus made it clear that adultery is a matter of the heart, not just a matter of outward physical expression. Jesus routinely does that. He takes outward things and he talks about the inward thing because Jesus understood something about human beings. We're all about the externals. We're going to try to do what we're supposed to do on the outside, but our hearts don't necessarily change. And he wanted to make sure that our, chart, that our hearts change. So he made it clear, whether you're a man or a woman in the room, and you look at some other person, and you want to possess that person, you want that person, you make that person into an object of your pleasure, what you're doing is sin. 
it's actually adultery to do that. And what Jesus was saying to all of us is, you need to understand how important it is to get back to the original intent that my heavenly Father had in Genesis 1 and 2. In fact, if you look at the very last verse of Genesis 2, after Adam is there and Eve is created and God says, you know, the man will leave his father and mother, cling to the wife, and the two will become one flesh. What it says is this, and the man and his wife were both naked and were not ashamed. Before sin entered the world, Adam and Eve had no shame about their sexuality. In fact, they were sitting there, you know, talking to each other, and they had no clothes on, and that didn't bother them. Now, that would bother all of us because we live after sin entered into the world. Here's the thing about Adam and Eve. Adam only had eyes for Eve. Eve only had eyes for Adam. And you're sitting there going, duh, there was only Adam. There was only Eve. <laughs> but, but here's the thing. Jesus was telling us that we are to live toward our wives or our husbands as Adam and Eve lived toward each other before the fall. When you look at your wife, if you're married, that's the only woman there is. That's how you're supposed to see it. If you're, if you're a woman, you look at your husband. He's the only man there is. Now, we know the fall happened. We know that there's sin. We know that that's what Paul was talking about in Romans 7. And we've all been there and experienced that where we want to do the right thing, but we don't. We want to not do the wrong thing, but we do. And the reality that Jesus has for us is something totally and radically different. And Jesus wanted us to understand how serious this matter is. Because here's what he concluded. After saying this thing about lust, he says, If your right eye causes you to sin, tear it out and throw it away. For it is better that you lose one of your members than that your whole body be thrown into hell. And if your right hand causes you to sin, cut it off and throw it away. For it is better that you lose one of your members than that your whole body go into hell. So why does Jesus use such a radical image here? And, and obviously Jesus was not wanting us to take this literally. Now, even as a left-handed person, you know, which is only about 7% of the people in the world, and back in Jesus' day, it was none of the world because you weren't allowed to be left-handed. That's why he said your right hand, your good hand. But even as a left-handed person, I don't want my right hand cut off. You know, even as a left-dominant eye person, I don't want my right eye cut out. But why was Jesus saying this? He said because it would be better to have that happen and to have lust removed from your life than to let lust continue in your life and go to hell. I mean, Jesus took this very seriously. This is a matter of holiness and godliness. And I know we don't use those words very much in this culture, but Jesus wanted us to understand that holiness and godliness really is a part of our marriage, that we are supposed to have a holy and godly approach to our wife if we're men or to our husband if we're women. And that's what Jesus made very clear in this statement. So Jesus would never have said these things if he thought they were going to be impossible for us to live them out. He knew that he was going to die on the cross to pay the penalty of human sin. He knew that he was going to rise from the dead and go back to heaven and send the Holy Spirit so all of us would be able to have the power on the inside to live the new life that he's talking about. Now, the Apostle Paul helped us to understand what it's like when that transformation happens because in Romans 8, 1 to 11, he uses the word, words Holy Spirit 11 times. Eleven times he refers to the Holy Spirit is what changes us from the inside out. So I don't want to lust. You don't want to lust, but you do. You, you try not to, but you can't help it. Because here's the thing. I, me, and my equals condemnation. 
When I'm living in my own flesh, in my own sinful nature, in the nature that happens before Jesus becomes Lord in my life and Savior in my life, before the Holy Spirit comes in, when you're living in that condition, it equals condemnation. Now, you all who have been coming to New Life for a while know I like my formulas. You know, I don't like math formulas. In fact, I was listening to Miko practice algebra the other day, and I thought, thank God that I don't do something where they use algebra anymore. But I love my formulas when it comes to something that has to do with how our lives actually are lived. I, me, and my equals condemnation. So when I try, when I try, I lose, right? When I try not to, I still lose. It's like Luke Skywalker when he was training to be a Jedi. And Yoda, you know, he's trying to lift this spaceship up out of the swamp. And and Yoda says, do or do not. There is no try. Now, how could Luke make it happen? He could make it happen through some mythological force, right? It was outside of him, but it needed to come inside of him. While that's a myth, the premise is true. The premise is true. We can overcome lust in the power of the Holy Spirit. It's the Holy Spirit inside of us who allows us to do things that we can't do. A long time ago, I was you know, working through this passage of Scripture, and I was thinking about how hard it is to look at a beautiful woman and not to have what Jesus says must not happen, happen. And so I think God revealed to me, here's the thing. When I see a beautiful woman, I say, good job, God. And then, and then after I say, good job, God, I say, I wonder if she knows Jesus. Because as soon as that happens, guess what happens? I can't have lust for that situation. No longer do I want to possess the person. What I want is for the Holy Spirit of God to be in that person's life. It changes everything. And four or five years ago, I was in Cuba teaching a group of Cuban pastors, missionaries, and their, their spouses. And I was, just had said what I just said to you. Good job, God. You know, when I see a beautiful woman. And there was a woman there in the, in the group. And she had had a stroke or some kind of physical ailment. And her, her face was drooping. And, you know, she didn't look beautiful in the worldly sense of the word. But the Holy Spirit said to me, and every woman is beautiful because they're created in my image. And so I said, when I see a beautiful woman and every woman is beautiful because she's created in the image of God. And that woman made eye contact with me and tears came down her eyes. I'm pretty sure that she had not been told she was beautiful in a really long time. And, you know, we can believe the devil's lie that says that only certain body types or only certain hair colors or only certain skin types are beautiful. We can believe his lie that lust will make us feel better, but they're lies. In fact, we have believed Satan's lies to such a point that in this culture, probably more than any culture, we've so obsessed with this whole area of sexuality that it doesn't even have to do with real people many times anymore. Pornography is, is a, it's a, an addiction, but it's, it's a rampant obsession in our culture. And they're not even real people. And yet we, we think that somehow we're going to feel better by viewing images like that. And what Jesus offers us is reality. Jesus offers us the reality that we can be the people he created us to be. And we can see one another as the beautiful men and women he created us to be. And we can care more about whether the person we're looking at knows him as Savior and Lord, than anything else. And when that happens, everything changes from the inside out. And so here's the next step for today. I will let the Holy Spirit free me from lust this week. The Holy Spirit is not a myth. 
The Holy Spirit is not a legend. The Holy Spirit is not positive thinking. The Holy Spirit is not the force. We don't say, may the force be with you, right? The Holy Spirit is also not someone who stopped working at the end of the first Christian century. The Holy Spirit is the living power of the living God inside of every person who has trusted Jesus Christ as Savior and Lord. And when we call on Him, after we trust Him as Savior and Lord, we change from the inside out. Remember last week I was talking about anger and murder, and I said this, I said, if we are walking away from God, if we're walking into darkness, we're walking into sin, we can't change that. But there's only one thing that we can do. We can turn around. That's called repentance. We can obey. That's what we can do. We can change our allegiance from the devil to God. We can change our attitude from one that says, I'm going to fail, to the one that says, in the power of the Holy Spirit, I'm going to succeed. We can change our effort. We can put our effort into allowing the Holy Spirit to work. I know that sounds funny, but it takes work to let the Holy Spirit work in our lives because we're so used to either giving up or else doing it on our own power that we don't even know what it's like to just say, I give up and I want you to empower me. And over time, little by little by little, I mean, I didn't stop and park in that place that said no parking anytime. I would have a number of years ago just to prove that I could, right? That's what happens. Over time, we change little by little by little. And I mean, the change of salvation is immediate. We go from being lost to being found, from being dead to being alive. But the transformation of that thing, I do the thing I don't want to do, I don't do the thing I want to do, that change, it takes a lifetime in the power of the Holy Spirit. So here's my closing question for all of us. Do we want to have the power to live abundant lives that brings glory to God and praise to Him? Do you want that in your life? One person does. Okay. I'm hoping that all of us do. Okay, yeah. So if we do, it's very simple. Not very easy, but very simple. All we have to do is surrender control of our life to Jesus Christ and then let Him live inside of us. Let's pray for that right now. Heavenly Father, I thank you so much for your goodness. I thank you so much for your life, your truth, your power. And right now, I pray for anybody watching online, anybody here in the room who has never trusted Jesus as Savior and Lord, that in this moment, that they will just surrender and say, I give up. I'm tired of trying to do stuff and not being able to and trying not to do stuff and, and do it anyway. God, I pray in this moment that that person that those people will right now just say, yes, Jesus, come in, take over, be Savior and Lord in my life, save me from sin and death, and give me the ability to follow your will and, and fill me with your spirit, God, so that I can actually do these things that are so impossible in my own power. God, I pray for all of us who have already made a commitment like that sometime in our life, that right now, that we would once again surrender to you, that we would say yes to you, from the inside out so that your Holy Spirit will lead and work in this area of lust, in the area of anger, in the, in the area of everything, God. Whatever it is that keeps us from seeing you as Lord and Savior of our lives and whatever it is that keeps us from seeing other people as beautifully created in your image, take it away in Jesus' name and give us your life that is truly life. We ask this again in Jesus' name. Amen. At this time, I would encourage you to get out this. It's called The Connection, and inside of it is a connection card. And if you um, are here for the first time, 
if you would give us your name and some contact information and look down at the bottom half because this whole part of the card is for you. It says my first time here or second or third. If you fill in that circle and you can say you want information about small groups or children's ministry or New Life Students, which is our teenager ministry um, or anything, as you can see there. Um, And then don't put this in the offering because everybody that comes all the time, we put it in the offering uh, because there's some things that we can sign up for. Uh, But take it to the the next step area, which is right out those doors. You'll go to the center. And uh, at this service, I can't remember who's out there. Oh, Spencer's out there and Justin's out there. All right. They're going to say hi to you. They're going to welcome you and say thanks for coming. And so they're also going to have a couple gifts for you, a book called Life Cycle of a Christian and a T-shirt just to say thanks. On the back of the page, it says commit at the very top. I committed my life to Jesus today. If you did that for the first time while we were praying this morning, I would encourage you to, you know, fill in that circle, give us some contact information, because I have a letter I want to send you. It's going to tell you about how we live into this new life in Jesus Christ that changes us from the inside out. And then I want to point out one thing. It's going to be, there's going to be an announcement, um, but what's not going to be in the announcement is the small group booklet, which announces all the small groups that are available in the summer small group time, is in the back of the church. If you look back there right now, unless you're in the balcony, you'll be able to see this. There are some balloons. They have red, white, and blue stars and stripes and everything. Nancy, my wife, bought those. And, and I said, oh, so you bought those colored balloons so that we'd remember to vote on Tuesday. Huh. Double announcement, see? We were supposed to vote on Tuesday, remember? Okay, but as importantly, you have the opportunity to get one of these booklets that tell you about all of the small groups that are going to be available this summer. As our church continues to grow, and it is continuing to grow larger and larger, The way that we can continue to stay connected is in small groups. And in those small groups, we find life from Jesus and life from each other. And we learn how to live out those relationships in the power of the Holy Spirit. So I'd encourage you to pick up a booklet. And uh, Pastor Barry is going to tell you the details about when small groups start and that kind of thing. So let's watch that. And then we'll uh, receive this morning's tithes and offerings. Summer small groups begin the week of June 9th. Don't miss this opportunity to do life together with your New Life family. Please take a booklet, find a group, and sign up online by going to www.newlifexn.org and navigate to the Find a Group link. Groups run June 9th through July 20th. Sign up today. Share your mug and get your mug in just two weeks. We'd love to give you a New Life coffee tumbler if you'd graciously give us a picture of yourself so we can upload it into Fellowship One, which is our people management system. You can share your mug two ways. First, at every service throughout the month of June, we'll have a New Life team member taking your picture and uploading it directly to F1. Or you can upload your own picture, shoot us an email, and let us know. And we'll have a mug with your name on it when you come to church the following weekend. Help us to better connect with you and get a mug for your mug. Hey parents, June 1st to 2nd is New Life Kids Promotion Weekend in the Galaxy. On this weekend, all kids going into kindergarten through fifth grade in 2019 and 2020 school year will move to their new environments. And fifth graders will be promoted to New Life students. Pastor Alex will be preaching and sharing about New Life students with the kids. Our leaders will pray over the fifth graders and they'll receive a gift as they prepare to start youth group 
on June 4th. Quick correction to that announcement about the mugs. It says that you're going to get a mug with your name on it, right? You're not. You're going to get a mug in a box, and the box will have your name on it. You see the difference? It's not going to be a personalized mug. It's going to say New Life on the mug. I just want everybody to understand. We tell the truth here at New Life. And so when you get your mug and it doesn't have your name on it, don't come talking to me or Pastor Barry. Okay? Um, I guess we could get a Dremel tool because they are metal. But anyway, so, but we do want you to get your picture taken because it is important for us to get to know your name. It really is. So who's the most generous being in the universe? Oh, Three of you know God. That's right. God is the most generous being in the whole universe. And God is our Heavenly Father. And we become His children um, by virtue of adoption into the family through Jesus Christ. And if we are His children, then we start to reflect His characteristics. One of the characteristics of God is generosity. And so we start to give our time and our talents and our treasure and our touch in generous ways as the Holy Spirit becomes more and more in charge of our lives. So every week, when we bring our tithes and offerings, it's a way for us to see how our connection to God is growing, how our relationship with Him is growing. It it really is an important way for us to understand whether we are moving forward or whether we're moving backward or whether we're staying the same. And I I don't think anybody stays the same in life. I think we're either moving forward or backward in our relationship with God at any given moment. So as we bring our tithes and offerings this morning, it gives us an opportunity for a checkup to see how we're doing in the area of treasure, in our area of growing to be more like, like God, like Jesus. So let's do that right now. Oh, okay. 
of our heart to you, that you would receive and multiply them, God, that your salvation might be experienced here in Saxonburg, our region, our nation, to the very ends of the earth, that you might be glorified and your kingdom grow. In Jesus' name, amen. 
Let's look at that next step one more time. If this is how you seek to live your life this week in the power of the Holy Spirit, would you say it with me? I will let the Holy Spirit free me from lust this week. We have Karen and Sadie up here to pray with you if you have need for a special prayer after worship today. I, I do want to tell you all, uh, somebody came up for a prayer a couple weeks in a row, came back from Florida and had some heart issues, was facing surgery, and said, I need this to happen. I need my heart, some valve to stop leaking, and, and it did. Um, and so I, I wanted to point that out. Yeah. And uh, she, she was really dragging quite fit, really, literally physically when she came back and last night came to worship and had such a big smile on her face. And I know that sometimes we think that prayer might be just positive thinking, but, you know, I, I, I haven't said this for a while. Prayer is not a substitute for action. It's an action for which there's no substitute. And sometimes, you know, we, we shouldn't go to prayer last. We should go to prayer first. But sometimes, even when we make it a last resort, God is so gracious that he, um, he responds. So I just would encourage you, if you need prayer, uh, to seek it. And obviously, you can pray directly yourself as well. So let's go out into the world in peace. Let's love and serve the Lord, rejoicing in the power of the Holy Spirit. Let's render to no one evil for evil, but always turn back evil with good. And now may the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God, and the communion of the Holy Spirit be with us all today until we see Jesus face to face. Amen.